HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Cane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Cane5.com. Broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Welcome to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wides, your host, and I'm back after a brief two-week hiatus. We were doing some planning for future shows, coming up with some new ideas, but it's good to be back live, live in Brooklyn. Um, did you know that I was a fat kid? I'm sure I've mentioned this before. I was, yes. I wasn't huge. I wasn't obese. I wasn't even fat, really, by the standards of today's fat kids. But I was a chubster. Yeah. I, you know, I was, I was round. I was like, it was a combination, I think, of no encouragement at all to exercise by my family and an early obsessive relationship with food, which probably came out of boredom and loneliness that led me to being a little fat kid. I know, boo-hoo, poor me, I was lonely, I was bored. They're kids in Africa who have never even heard of loneliness or boredom. They can't afford to be lonely or bored. They don't even know what that is. In any case, combine the fact that I was this little fat kid with the other facts that my mother made most of my clothes. Mm-hmm. And she cut my hair herself, at least up until... I started seeing Denise, the haircutter, who you may remember from my previous episode about butter. But my mother cut my hair, and um, I started wearing glasses at the age of seven. So put that all together. Fat kid, homemade clothes, homemade haircut, wearing glasses at seven. Gives you an excellent insight into where this highly sharpened sense of humor, tinge of darkness, and bare hint of sarcasm in my voice may come from. Not to mention my ever-so-slight exercise compulsion. So, yeah, I was fat. 
And did I also mention that I like to read a lot? I read a lot. And also, I played the violin. Not really by choice, I must say. So can you spell dork? I spell dork, E-R-I-C-A. Now, I know, I know, again, poor me, reading books and being forced to learn an instrument when, you know, kids in Africa have never even heard of books or music or even dorks. They can't afford dorks in Africa. But the worst part of it was really my total lack of athleticism. I mean, there was just none. I mean, the only exercise I got in was, you know, gym class. But I mostly faked my way through gym class. I would kind of hide in the back or riding my bike around the neighborhood. You know, all kids back then rode their bikes around neighborhoods because you could. It was safe. (laughs) It was the 70s. It was safe. Now, of course, there were the years and years and years of ballet that I took. But I don't really think of that as exercise so much. There really wasn't much cardiovascular going on in ballet. And I had to take ballet because I had to go there because my tiny, skinny little ballerina sister went to ballet every non-school moment of her life. She was a child ballerina. So I got dragged along too because what were they going to do with me when my mom and my sister spent their lives at the ballet school, so I had to go too. And I had to take ballet classes along with everybody else taught by the sadistic Valya Papadopoulos, the mean Greek former ballerina, who used to hit me with a cane and accuse me of eating potatoes. She would hit me and yell at me that I was eating potatoes and bread, which I was, of course. Now, I hated the ballet, taking the ballet, but years later, I actually switched over to taking Martha Graham-style modern dance, which was good for little fat girls. And then Bob Fosse style jazz, which I actually loved, 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 loved. And which now makes me excellent at Zumba, by the way. And also taking all that Bob Fosse style jazz has left in me a very good sense of gaydar, by the way. And then in junior high school, actually, I started to learn how to play tennis. Not very well, but I did play tennis, despite looking somewhat like Billie Jean King my whole life. Um. And then I got into biking, like seriously into biking. And, you know, then I got together. But up until like up until seventh grade, let's say we're talking about like up until seventh grade. I was the chubby glasses wearing violin playing Little House on the Prairie, watching books, reading handmade clothes, wearing crooked bangs and uneven braids, sporting dollhouse with no people in it, furnishing charmer that you have come to know and love via this radio broadcast. So. Let's say for the first like 13 years of my life, I was a totally unathletic, out of breath, sweaty little kid. And then I got it together. I started to actually get some exercise. I got contacts. My parents got divorced. I got divorced from them practically. I discovered clothes from a store. My mom had to go back to work. She didn't have time to sew. We went shopping. We lived on tab and popcorn and I got a life. I was like the ugly duckling. I emerged as a beautiful swan, long neck and graceful limbs and all. Not not really. I mean, I'm still really short. I'm under five feet tall. And I will never be thin or swan-like. But you know what? Now I'm in really good shape. Okay? I could beat the crap out of you probably. So watch out. I climb mountains on the weekends. I swim. I run. I do Zumba. I lift weights. Not bad for the former mini pudster who couldn't even run around the block once, right? 
So when the chance to do a triathlon came along this spring, I decided to go for it. Now, I had already run in the past the New York City Marathon and one 18-mile race and three half marathons and a bunch of shorter races. Okay, I don't really run that much anymore, but I have done that in the past. I can bike all day. And the quarter-mile swim didn't really scare me that much, although it should have, having known. So I did my first try in June. And I think I mentioned it on the show around the time. I think I did right after I did it. Now, I can't say that it was fun. I mean, runners are hardly a barrel of laughs kind of people. It wasn't fun in the moment, but I'm really glad I did it. Now, this try that I did is a particular try. It's a sprint distance. I don't know if you know that. It doesn't really matter. There's Olympic try, and then there's Ironman, and then there's sprint. Sprint's the little short one for all us, you know, non-professional athletes. But anyway, this one sprint try is called the Pancake. More specifically, it's called Patinella's Flat as a Pancake Triathlon. Because the race course is totally flat, like a pancake. Get it? <laughs> and everyone I knew who had done this race before said to me, you will love it. It's great. It's so great. It's flat. And you finish the race, and then they serve pancakes to everyone after. Great. You know how much I love pancakes, especially if they're pancakes made from pancake mix or Bisquick, all white flour and white sugar and refined vegetable oils and fake maple-flavored corn syrup slathered all over them. Mmm, that's what I want to shove in my trap after swimming a quarter mile and biking 12 miles and running a 5K. So as soon as I finish throwing up on my running shoes over here, pass me a big old stack of pancakes. Pile them high, please. And don't forget to pour on the Mrs. Butterworths. I won't be feeling comatose enough after all that exercise, so please pump me full of white flour and sugar, and then let me drive the 60 miles back home. As my adrenaline rush starts to fade while I'm driving, my blood sugar can take a hard crash, too. I'm feeling really good right about now. This must be what drunk driving feels like. Now, of course, most of the people doing the race were really excited about the pancakes. And I know, I know, I know, I'm such a curmudgeon. Why can't I just shut the hell up and eat a pancake once in a while and join in the fun, too? I know. But seriously, I couldn't after all of that. I mean, what can I say? When it comes to food, I am an elitist. I'm in the top 1%. The chocolate chip cookie defender tea party crowd loves to hate people like me. But you know what? At least I'm in the top 1% about something. So I'm not going to apologize for it. So I skipped the pancakes and I perused the rest of the offerings on the buffet table that they had set up for us triathletes. Because, you know, that's what I am now, by the way, a triathlete. And don't you forget it. And all you people who used to make fun of me when I was a little fat kid, fuck all of you because I'm a triathlete now. Okay, so you can go to hell. I used to fake being sick on the day that we did the presidential physical fitness test in school. So I could avoid the 50-yard dash. I mean, forget about the 80, the 100, the 20-mile or all that shit. I used to just stay home for all of it. And look at me now. See? I'm five years away from 50 and I'm still dashing. Well, all those kids I grew up with who were really good in gym are now on three heart medicine drugs and they use the moving sidewalks at the airport because they have to. What can I say? Schadenfreude rocks.
Anyway, along with the big old slabs of flapjacks, the big stacks of cakes, there were, of course, the requisite post-race bagels. Now, at every single race I've ever done, from a 5K all the way up to the marathon, there are bagels. It's like a law with runners. I guess people want to replenish their carbs afterwards. I mean, I get that. You're supposed to do that. Even I will chew on a bagel after I finish a race. I gnaw on one like a toddler with a teething ring. You need to. It's sort of, it's like a reward. Not like a useless reward, like mileage from an airline, which is totally useless. And it's like a tangible reward in the form of a delicious carbohydrate after a long race. But they'll never, ever serve at these races the kind of rewards that I would actually want after the race. Like, they can't really set up a buffet of quinoa and poached eggs with turmeric and chia seeds for the runners or broccoli rabe with grilled octopus and Greek yogurt. Although that's what I'd really like to eat. Why can't they? So it's usually a bagel. And there's usually like a banana or some apples or something. So I'm okay with that. But at this race, the triathlon... Did I mention that? Yeah. At this triathlon, there were pancakes and syrup and bagels and peanut butter and jars of grape jelly and big, huge bowls of candy. Yeah, big bowls of candy. It was like a Halloween party for six-year-olds. I should have brought my old Batgirl mask from kindergarten. The Batgirl mask that I refused to take off its neck time. And then I tried to eat a piece of tangerine by sticking it through the hole in the mouth. And it got stuck. That's another story. So if I sprang a pop quiz on you right now. If I said, okay, everybody, pop quiz right now. And I asked you this question. Based on your intimate knowledge of me having been a listener for Nyon these three years, what would you answer? Here is the question. World-famous radio host and triathlete Erica Wides is perusing the post-race buffet line. The choices are pancakes and syrup, big bowls of candy, or bagels with peanut butter and jelly. She is finished throwing up and is now hungry from her grueling exertion and stunning third from last out of 600 people finish. Based on your previous knowledge of her and her borderline orthorexic condition and disdain for processed food and foodiness, which choice would she make? Think about it. You have five seconds left. Bing! What did you say? What was your answer? I bet you said the peanut butter on a bagel, no jelly, right? Bing! Good job. That is what I would have liked to eat. It would have been great if, and there's always an if with me, isn't there? Nothing is ever simple. There's always a big fat if. I'm tell- it's not easy being me, by the way, just so, just so you know, okay? This is not easy. The peanut butter on a bagel, no jelly, would have been great if it weren't a cinnamon raisin bagel, which were all that was left since, did I mention that I came in third from last out of 600 people? See, this is why I need to be in the top 1% with food because I'm not usually first with much, okay? Anyway, I don't mind cinnamon raisin bagels, of course, assuming that they're, you know, real cinnamon raisin bagels and not cinnamon raisin flavored bagels, but, you know, they were real. But being in the top 1% and not needing everything I eat to taste like candy is my prerogative there. I couldn't stomach anything sweet at that point. Now, 
just to make things clear, I didn't really throw up. That was just creative license, okay? I don't want you to ever have that image of me in your head. Me throwing up. Okay, just just push that out of your mind. But like a sesame bagel, a poppy bagel, even a plain old bagel, salt, that would have been great. And the biggest if was that if the peanut butter wasn't a brand like Skippy or Jif or Peter Pan or whatever foodiness-infused brand of corn syrupy, hydrogenated oils added, junky junk peanut butter they were serving. And forget the jelly, because I don't eat jelly. Okay, jelly is just fruit juice concentrate, which is basically just sugar with added pectin, which, for my gay listeners, is not a growth hormone, pectin. Okay, it's the stuff that naturally occurs in fruit that makes them gel when you cook them. Pectin's not a bad thing. Most cheapo jellies, like diner jelly, Welch's, have high fructose corn syrup added to it also. And this was like Welch's or something like that. So if I had wanted, if I had wanted to mainline sugar, I would have just dived into those giant troughs of candy instead. Because at least, you know, it's candy and it's not pretending to be food. I mean, I'll eat like a good fruity jam or preserves, you know, especially homemade. Wink, wink. Anybody out there? Send me some jam. Those are different. Those are mostly fruit held together with sugar. Sort of like Nathan Lane. Jelly is mostly sugar held together with corn syrup. Sort of like Jessica Simpson. So anyway, there I was with a cinnamon raisin bagel in my hand and a plastic knife with a big old blob of... Skippy or some other similar brand falling down an orthorexic foodiness rabbit hole of post-race hunger and anxiety and inner conflict between the need to eat after the race and being too elite to eat what they'd given me. Too elite or just too messed up. I don't know. Now let me take you down the orthorexic food elite rabbit hole with me as my glucose-depleted brain tried to find a resolution in that moment. Come with me, if you will. Do I eat the sugary bagel and sugary peanut butter and just take the hit? Do I chalk it up to a necessary evil of a post-race snack that I desperately needed and just move on? Like picking some guy up when you're drunk and you just know you're going to be sorry in the morning? Or do I hold out and I get something on the road? And if I do that, what am I going to get? Because where the hell am I anyway? Where is this race? And can I wait that long? And what does on the road today mean anyway? I mean, this isn't like Jack Kerouac's era. This is McDonald's and Subway's time of potato people lining up to eat Chick-fil-A to support Jesus's widely known stance against gay marriage. And maybe I'll just eat a couple of bananas and hope I don't have a low blood sugar crash while I'm on the road driving upstate and... A big blob of cream cheese would have been great. Why, how come there are bagels with no cream cheese? Where the hell is the cream cheese? I have no problem with cream cheese. Is there any cream cheese around? No? Just peanut butter and jelly? Everyone else seems really happy just eating the pancakes and the syrup and the sugar. What's wrong with me? Why can't I just play along? Why am I so different? Am I still the fat little nerd who doesn't know how to do what the cool kids do? Will I ever be cool Wait, I'm cool. I have a radio show. If I were nine, I would be loving this buffet right now. But that's what got me so fat in the first place. Aren't I beyond that now? Don't I know how to eat right now? 
Why is this such an issue for me all the time? My peanut butter at home is just peanuts. I make it myself. You can get natural peanut butter so easily. Even the shitty foodiness brands sell natural peanut butter now. Why couldn't they get that? Should I write to the race organizers and tell them? Do they care? No one cares. That's the problem. I just shouldn't care. Why do I care? I don't have the right bike for this race. That's why I came in third from last. How come I have the wrong bike? It's because my parents ignored my needs and I never learned how to take care of my own needs. And Lucille, my therapist, was right. Maybe I need to go back into therapy after all. I'm getting really, really hungry. I think I might faint and my peanut butter just fell off the plastic knife and somebody just stepped in it with those stupid finger toe glove shoes that they're wearing, which is good because I hate those things. What are these people thinking? It's like we're on Planet of the Apes and we're all going to just start using our feet to eat and change the channel and send tweets. So I ate the bagel. With the peanut butter, but no jelly. I mean, I'm not a barbarian after all. Now, if that was your answer to the quiz, you get an A. Good job. I had to eat something. It was only one meal. Really, it was only one snack. And I lived, but I temporarily dropped down into the 99%, but only because it was that or starve. Now, it does bring me to the point about this show. You know, it takes me a while sometimes, but the point, which is not as you may imagine, about kids who were good at gym. Grew up to be big, fat losers and kids who were bad at gym growing up to be fabulous success stories, albeit traumatized ones like me. The topic of the show is why, oh, why, oh, why do we need to fill something as good and basic and simple and healthy as peanut butter with sugar and corn syrup and hydrogenated vegetable oils? Why do we have to add sugar to peanut butter and preservatives? And all that other crap. Peanut butter is such a staple, such a standard, such an American classic food. You know what peanut butter is? It's just peanuts. That's how you make it. Maybe a little salt if you want it salty. The original peanut butter, just peanuts, ground up, salt, no sugar, no crap, no foodiness. It's like a classic Cole Porter Broadway tune of sandwich spreads, an American icon. Why do we fuck it up with foodiness? Why do we turn it into Spider-Man the musical or Ghost the musical or Little House on the Prairie the musical, which is actually a real thing that's coming, and I will be the first one buying tickets to that. And jelly, which was once upon a time a delicious homemade preparation of all your overripe Concord grapes in the fall, cooked with some precious expensive sugar and strained and then set in jars and rationed out all winter in little bits to provide a lingering taste of summer through those cold, long winter months. Jams and jellies and preserves and all their ilk were invented as a way to preserve fruit before refrigeration, to keep it from rotting within days of picking it and make it last all winter when all you had for fruit was maybe a couple of old apples and pears in your root cellar that, if you were smart, you stored up. I have no qualms with good fruit-filled jams and preserves and even jellies if they're just fruit and sugar. But if you call it jelly and the first ingredient is corn syrup and the second is sugar, then don't associate it with fruit because that is just maligning the good reputation of that poor fruit. It's like hanging out with the wrong crowd. It's like the kids who smoked behind the high school or the girls who wore too much eyeliner and had six kids by the time they were 30. Not the violin players with Little House on the Prairie lunchboxes and uneven braids, who went on to podcast and then web series or television stardom as the face of the real food movement, as I am doing. Like practically all American kids, I ate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. We all did. What American kid 
didn't. Nobody had peanut allergies back then, okay? Did you know anyone with peanut allergies growing up? No. I'm not really going to go too far into that, as I don't want to risk the wrath of the mummies and the allergy rights crowd. But suffice it to say, nobody was allergic to peanuts in my day. Now, I blame peanut farming monoculture for the rise in peanut allergies, but I also blame nut job mummy culture for creating an air of frenzied fear and overreaction to it. But that's all I'm going to say about that for now. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, much more about peanut butter. You're listening to River Serpentine by the Budos Band. That was some funky peanut loving music there, Joe. Excellent. Welcome back to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network.org. I'm Erica Wides, your host. You're listening to this show live tonight, hopefully. But if you're not, you can listen to it in the future. Not live. You can listen to it anytime and any other Heritage Radio show ever on heritageradionetwork.org. You can also listen to my shows anytime you want on letsgetrealshow.com. And you can also find them all on iTunes. Plus, you can find Let's Get Real on Facebook. And you can follow me on Twitter at Let's Get Real Show. So many choices in this modern world. Anyway, like most American kids in the 99%, which I certainly was. I wasn't one of those poor kids in Africa, but not too far away from that. My peanut butter sandwiches that I ate in childhood, in my fat childhood, probably started out as something like Skippy and Welch's on white bread. But as you know, if you've been listening for a long time. I was raised in a sort of quasi-pioneer-style little house on the prairie on Long Island weird scene. And we got really into the 70s kind of DIY back-to-the-land thing. Now, as much as you can do that on a quarter acre of land in a split-level house in the suburbs. So we would go out to the east end of Long Island, and we would pick quarts and quarts and quarts of strawberries and bushels of peaches and all kinds of stuff way out there in farm country. Now, this was before all those farms were turned into vineyards and luxury summer houses. There were actually farmers out there back then. And then we'd come home and we would make jars and jars and jars of jam and pickles and bread and all of this stuff that we used to make. Now, we never made our own peanut butter that I can remember, although it is ridiculously easy to do so, and we will get to that at the end of the show. But there was definitely a conscious switch at some point back then to the natural style peanut butter, the early kind of natural style peanut butter that had the oil floating on top. Do you remember that? Which, of course, my sister and I despised, but we didn't feel like we had much choice as my parents didn't really pay attention to our needs. Remember from earlier in the show? Okay, that's all I'll say about that for now. And all of this occurred in the dark days of the late 70s when poor old Jimmy Carter, oh, Jimmy Carter was flailing around helplessly, trying to get us all to put on sweaters and turn down our thermostats and drive smaller cars and give up lust. And we did all that. 
we listened to Jimmy. I voted for Jimmy in the mock election that we had in fourth grade, but it didn't help. Because in 1980, Ronald Reagan was elected, and he had the solar panels on the White House roof ripped off and thrown away, and we never switched over to the metric system like we were supposed to, and Maude went off the air, and my parents got divorced. And that was the end of the natural peanut butter. Then we went back to super, supermarket bread, and we started drinking diet soda and eating frozen dinners. Now, we didn't have any of that before the divorce, but you know, my mom went back to work, and she kind of just gave up for a while. After that, she was a little, a little preoccupied. But after learning how to like that natural style peanut butter, the taste of it, I started to find the foodiness kind too sweet and too fakey tasting. So I stuck with the natural. And then years later, I learned how to make my own, which, as I've said, is so easy. It's kind of a joke, but I'm saving it for the end just to torture you. Now, I know that the average Heritage Radio crowd, who are so not average, Heritage Radio listener crowd, for you, making something like peanut butter would be a fun and realistic activity. Hey, everybody, let's all go over to my loft in Bushwick and make our own peanut butter and wear ironic t-shirts. Yay! I mean, after all, we're all into real food, right? But let's get real. Because being into real food, and where it comes from and listening to radio shows about it is more like a hobby or a fetish. It's like being into Star Trek or being into having sex with people in animal costumes or collecting hummels or putting things on Pinterest. A hobby or a fetish. But since food is no longer a matter of survival, but rather just another service that we expect, like gas or electricity or regular booty calls. People don't want to know where it came from or what's in it. They just want it when they need it. And then for him to go away until the next time he's needed. So for all my other listeners who are like my co-producer and publicist, Chris Nutter, who is into Star Trek and can tell you everything about it, but who just learned how to make a cucumber salad with four ingredients, let's make this really simple. Recipe for peanut butter. Take roasted, salted, or unsalted peanuts out of the shell. I have to say things like that, out of the shell, because you never know. I once told people in a class I was teaching to go wash the oysters, and they put them in hot water with soap. So, no shell, okay? Shell-less. Unsalted or salted roasted peanuts. Put them in a food processor. Now, when I was writing this, Chris said, you can't just say food processor and move on because people don't know what a food processor is. I was like, are you kidding me? He said, I don't know what a food processor is. A food processor is a machine that spins around and purees and grinds up food. It's like a blender, but it's not tall and skinny like a blender. It's sort of wide and round. More like me. Cuisinart is a brand name. Does that sound familiar? You may know it as a Cuisinart. You could do it in a blender too, Okay. Put the peanuts in the machine. Turn the machine on. That's it. Let it whiz around for about three minutes. Turn it off. When it looks like there's peanut butter inside the machine, there is. You're done. That's it. That's how you make peanut butter. Making homemade peanut butter is an excellent trick to keep up your sleeve or keep in your arsenal. And pull out when you have to amuse or impress somebody like a date or a toddler. 
it's more fascinating than a Kardashian antic. Imagine someone coming over to hang out and you're like, oh, excuse me, I have to go check on my peanut butter whizzing around in my Cuisinart in my kitchen. I mean, talk about being a fascinating host. And like all real non-foodiness food, real peanut butter tastes really good, really peanutty, salted or not, totally up to you. Tastes like peanuts, that's all. Some people don't like it because they expect their peanut butter to be sweet because we're also conditioned to eat sweet peanut butter. Once you make it, put it in an airtight container, that means something with a lid, and put it in the fridge. That's the big box with cold air in it where you keep your beer, okay? If you keep it cold, it won't separate, it won't get oily, and it won't go rancid. Peanuts, like all other nuts, have very unstable oils in them that can turn rancid very quickly. So refrigerate your peanut butter, and for that matter, refrigerate all of your nuts. Keep them fresh. Nobody likes rancid nuts like Mel Gibson or John Galliano or Mike Huckabee. Nobody likes rancid nuts. Now, about 10 years ago, this restaurant opened here in New York City called Peanut Butter & Co. And I have never been there. But they also make their own peanut butter in all sorts of flavors, which they now sell retail. And they make, of course, sandwiches. And I mean, you got to love them. Somebody is making a lot of money selling peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to the public. That's genius. I mean, there's a niche. That's business. You find a niche and you exploit that niche, right? Are there any food niches that have not yet been exploited? I mean, every time I think that I can't think of anything anymore, somebody comes up with another one. I need to find a niche too. Something I can artisanalize and put in little charming rustic glass bottles with old-fashioned typeset labels and sell for $15 a jar to suckers in Brooklyn. That's what I need to do. I could sell it to all the members of my Brooklyn foodie hipster tribe where we all live here under our glass dome. Maybe I could like sweep up all the dead bees from around my beehive or like empty the dead bees out in the winter because every year I kill my bees unintentionally. And I could take all the dead bees and I could grind them up and mix them with like locally sourced road tar and I could make bee jerky. I could sell bee jerky at all the yoga studios probably. Or I could make like bee and acorn power bars with foraged acorns from Prospect Park. Or maybe I could sell recycled gum. Yeah, recycled chewing gum. I could like scrape it from under the subway seats and I could sanitize it using green energy powered machines. And then I could reflavor it with anise and absinthe and sea salt from Rockaway and Poison sumac from Prospect Park. I mean, if someone can sell artisanal peanut butter or handcrafted artisanal marshmallow peeps or local Brooklyn sourced edible handmade toilet paper, why not bee jerky? And do choosy moms really choose Jif? I mean, if I were a mom, and seriously, it's a crying shame that I'm not. Don't you think? Because my kid would be amazing. I certainly wouldn't choose Jif. I'd choose anything but Jif or Skippy or any other brand of industrialized peanut butter foodiness crap on the supermarket shelf. I mean, after all, I am in the top 1% foodily, and so my kid would be also if I were a mom. Now, not a mommy, mind you. A mom or a mother. Although I might have my kid call me chief, let's say. 
But my kid would have to suffer through the natural peanut butter also, just like I did, because it makes you a better person. Only it wouldn't be suffering today because little Milo or Hudson would know that if they ate elite peanut butter, they would turn their nose down at Jeff and Skippy, and then all the other mommies in the parking in the parking lot in the playground would be offended. And that's really what we would want to do is offend all the other mommies. Real peanut butter is obviously good for you. I mean, look how good I turned out, right? Choosy moms would have to be moronic, capri pants wearing, device staring, Xanax, Paxil, and Adderall taking zombies to think that industrial peanut butter is any good for their kids. I mean, can't people read? It's not that complicated. Peanut butter has one ingredient. Have I mentioned this yet? Peanuts. Maybe salt. If you like it salty. Here is the ingredient list for Skippy right off of their website. Okay. For the regular old plain classic, whatever it's called, roasted peanuts. Okay, that's good. Sugar, hydrogenated vegetable oils, cottonseed, soybean, and rapeseed. Who wants to eat that? To prevent separation and salt. I don't want any of that in there. I just want the peanuts and the salt. Skippy's new tagline on their bottles is fuel the fun. Fuel the fun. How about fuel the fat scooter? You know those scooters people have to ride now because they're too fat? The sugar and the trans fats added to that peanut butter is only going to hasten the inevitable trip to the diabetes aisle of your pharmacy. And if you slather it on your classic American white bread and you add a good old dollop of grape jelly, you may as well start pre-ordering your diabetes supplies from Wilford Brimley right now. Operators are standing by. And so Skippy also has a naturals. Skippy naturals. You know, the label's brown, so you know it's good for you. It's natural. The naturals has roasted peanuts, sugar, palm oil, and salt. And on the label, it says, no stirring, with an exclamation point. No stirring required. What's natural about adding sugar and palm oil? Palm oil production is leading to millions of acres of rainforest being destroyed every year. So you should feel guilty about that. Peanuts are full of oil already. They add the palm oil to it to keep it more stable because apparently it's too much work to stir the peanut butter. Maybe if we all stirred a little more, we wouldn't need the extra wide ambulances that most cities are now ordering. Hmm? Think about that. And don't even get me started on reduced fat peanut butter. I mean, that shit should be illegal. Like all reduced fat products, it's filled with more sugars and corn syrup and thickeners and stabilizers to replace the beneficial, healthy, good peanut fat that you'd be much better off eating. Stop buying reduced fat foodiness shit, people. Peanuts are full of fat. We need to eat fat. Let's all get over that outdated 90s era antiquated thinking about fat. All of that fat phobia gave us was Callista Flockhart and Lara Flynn Boyle and 200 million other obese people. Eat more fat, eat more butter, and more cheese, and more nuts, and more real peanut butter, and more real jam, and real jelly, and fewer pancakes, and bagels, and foodiness. All that stuff has given us is potato people going through drive throughs on their scooters because it's too much effort to get into their car, and they can't walk. You ever hear of Plumpy Nut? No, it's not my Huckabee's nickname. Plumpy Nut is actually a peanut butter paste product. So it's peanut paste, peanut paste mixed with sugar and milk powder. 
And it's used to feed starving kids in Africa. You know, those kids who couldn't afford to be bored or lonely or play the violin like me. It actually saves the lives of millions of kids. It's really easy to distribute. It needs no refrigeration. It can be self-administered by the kids themselves. And it provides super concentrated food energy. It's an amazing invention. And it can be made locally in peanut growing regions for the people who need it. Because you know what? Peanuts come from Africa, FYI. So choosy moms in Africa should choose plumpy nut unless their kids have plumpy butt. In which case, maybe not so much. Most American kids don't need more concentrated food energy, just better food and maybe less Ritalin. Let's keep the plumpy nut for the kids who need it in Africa. Think of those starving African kids handing their packet of plumpy nut back to the UN relief worker saying, oh, my mom says I can't eat this. I have a peanut allergy. I don't think that's really happening. So a few months ago, I was sitting in the waiting area the green, not really the green room, the, the lobby of the production offices of a major daytime TV talk show. Now, I'm not going to say which one because I'm hoping that they will have me back on and I don't want to offend them. And of course, I'm not an idiot. I don't bite the media hand that feeds me, even if it's feeding me foodiness. So I was on this major daytime TV show, but only in silhouette. You know, there was no credit, no mention of my name. I was just in silhouette. It was like how they do it on like the late night news shows where there's the woman who was molested by her dentist and then impregnated by him while he was filling her cavity. But who doesn't want to talk on record about it because they told her that it was part of the dental procedure and she believed it. And then she didn't even know she was pregnant until one day she thought she was pooping in her bed and out came a baby like that. But I didn't talk about that. What I talked about was this segment they were doing called Secrets of Chefs. And it was kind of silly. But like I said, I'm a whore for media exposure, so I went with it. And while I was sitting there waiting for my taping, I was kind of looking around. And I noticed a display of a product that I had never seen before. It was powdered peanut butter. Peanut butter powder that it had most of the fat removed, which allows it to be turned into a powder. So I guess you take it and you mix it with water and you make like a like peanut slurry from it peanut cement i mean that's how cocoa powder is made by the way you take roasted cacao nibs and you grind them up into a very fine paste and then you put it under really intense pressure and all the cocoa butter comes out and you're left with cocoa powder so i have no problem with that i'm okay with that so i wasn't sure how i felt about this peanut butter powder is it foodiness is it food i think i may actually be on the fence about this one. And, you know, now I'm in such good shape that I can balance on the fence on one foot. Mm-hmm. That's going to be an event in the foodiness triathlon, by the way. I may need to try it, actually. The website says it's good for cooking and adding to smoothies and sauces or just eating as a powder. Now, how can you eat it just as a powder? Have you ever inhaled while you were eating a powdered sugar donut? You could asphyxiate. You can choke from that. The idea behind the peanut butter powder is to remove all the fat, of course, so we can all eat our peanut butter and stay thin and lean. And we all know how well all those reduced fat products on the market have done at making us all thin. The booming scooter industry says it all. I should actually really get in on that action. Chris, note to Chris, get on that for me, okay? Though actually, historically speaking, powders do make you thin, but... Only if you snort them. 
Maybe that's what you're supposed to do. Lines of peanut butter powder snorted off the chiseled abs of your hot gay trainer. I don't know. Now, Chris, whose last name coincidentally is Nutter, has offered to try this out for us in the name of research and science or in the name of PR and followed by a new port. So thanks, pal. And so for those of you who are still too lazy or slothful or just don't give a shit whatsoever about your food, you don't even need to go through the grueling triathlon-like exertion of making your own peanut butter and jelly sandwich anymore. You can buy them frozen, pre-made, without any crusts in the freezer case of the supermarket. Mm-hmm. That triple threat of activity, the arduous triathlon of opening a bread bag, opening and spreading peanut butter, and opening and spreading jelly, which can leave you feeling as wiped out as I did. I know it's hard work to make a sandwich. You have to find a knife. Those jar lids can be really tight. Peanut butter is thick and you have to balance the jelly on the knife as you maneuver it toward the bread. It's like an Olympic event. And who needs that? What we really need is a peanut butter and jelly sandwich Slurpee. Again, really, I shouldn't be giving away my ideas like that for free. So since we're running out of time by more than 15 minutes over, let's just say quickly how to get real about all this. Buy real peanut butter or make your own damn real peanut butter. Buy real jelly and real jam made from real fruit. This is one of the easiest ones, people. You can't get any easier than this. It's like the show about water. You just drink water out of the tap. It's actually less work and cheaper. It's not like grass-fed beef or pastured eggs or having to listen to NPR or watch the news hour instead of ET. It's really easy. If you really want to get real, you can make your own peanut butter and your own jelly. But... That's a little bit unrealistic. The peanut butter part, it's pretty easy. The jelly, mm, not so much. But just think of all the actual interacting with people you could have. It wouldn't be like a Facebook thing. It would be like a real thing. Like people come to your house and you say, hey, let's make peanut butter. So like I said, all you have to do, peanuts in the machine, food processor. You can get a food processor while you are at the store shopping for the replacement sheets that you ruined when you gave birth in bed, not knowing that you were pregnant. Don't bother with the jelly. Just buy it. And seriously, if I can teach Chris how to do things like cook black beans or make a cucumber salad with four ingredients, I can teach anybody to make peanut butter with one ingredient. And if you can't make something that has one ingredient, you've got much, much bigger problems to solve than me teaching you about real peanut butter and real jelly. Or you could just snort powdered peanut butter and it could be the new drug like bath salts just don't eat it with anyone's face although technically faces are food not foodiness so that's your call so remember if you don't want to eat shit or faces you better keep tuning into let's get real thanks for listening thanks to joe the newly blonde joe in the control room and we will see you next week Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. 
You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.